You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. 1 Peter 3, 13-14. This is Peter again. He's talking to the, to the Christians, all the Christians in the area there. And, and he says to them, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad and thankful that we can be here this morning, that we can be gathered together, Lord God, that um, we, can, we can come before you because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, Lord God, and, and we, we thank you so much for who you've called us to be and who you're calling us to be, Lord God. And I pray that this morning, as, as we go through this, this challenging um, topic, Lord God, and as we wrestle through it, Lord God, I pray that you would just open our hearts to receive your word, Lord God, that it would change us, that it, was, that it would mold us, that it would, that it would make us stronger in faith um, towards you and, and in, in what you've called us into, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Elliot, he's my youngest son. You might have seen him running around here. He's got red hair and uh, just a whole mat of red hair. It's ridiculously crazy. Uh, my wife doesn't like cutting it because she likes it all crazy. Uh, fine. Anyways, I'm already on a tangent. This is no good. Uh, okay. So anyways, he's in kindergarten. His kindergarten class has been taking swimming lessons every Tuesday. They've been going out to the Stan Civic pool and getting swimming lessons, which is really cool. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be a chaperone of their, their last session, which is just this last Tuesday. And uh, a couple other parents was that were there as well, and it was, it was lots of fun, it was good times, um, but at the, near the end of the, the session, since it was their last one, uh, their swimming instructors thought it would be fun to let them all have a chance to jump off the diving board, um, just the low diving board, you know, the one that's only like three or four feet um, above the water. So they put all the kids in life jackets, and they got them to practice jumping into the pool into our arms in the deep end, right? And uh, so they could jump off the edge, and then they're floating in the water, just getting used to being in a life jacket, you know, learning that, it's, that they're safe, nothing's wrong, right? Um, and then when it came to get on the diving board, they all like stood in line, you know, and it was one at a time. Instructor would bring them up on the diving board and then, then walk with them to the edge, and then they would jump off. And then an instructor would catch them, right? And both, you know, a whole bunch of kids are going through. They're having a good time. You know, a few were hesitant and had to be kind of let down a bit and then dropped, right? Um, but that's fine. Um, most of them had never been on a diving board before. And then when it was Elliot's turn, you know, he kind of slowly goes up the diving board. He walks up the, the, the four-step ladder, and, you know, the instructor's leading him. And then halfway, halfway, like, across the board, he just stops. He just freezes. Um, and little did he know he was becoming the perfect sermon illustration for my message this week. <laughs> because as he froze, his eyes just like widened. His back stiffened, right? And on his face was just this look of horror and despair. Like, why are you making me do this thing, right? And, and then despite our, our calls of encouragement, like, you can do it, buddy. It's totally safe. Come on, you can jump. It's totally fine. And, you know, we're trying to reassure him, right? Despite all of that, he just backed into his instructor and, and, was, and just started begging her to let him off. And he was just kind of freaking out and having a moment of anxiety. And, and, and she, she eventually just, you know, let him off, let him go down, back down the ladder. And that's totally fine. It's totally fine. He didn't want to do it. I don't really care. But out of curiosity, on the way home, while we're driving home, I asked him, you know, why, why didn't you want to 
jump off the diving board. And he said very seriously, and this is verbatim, he said to me, because I would have died. <laughs> like, he was serious, because I would have died. Like, he, he knew he would have died if he jumped off that diving board. And that, right there, is a perfect example of the power of fear, right? Perfect example of the power of fear. I looked up fear, psychology today defines fear, firstly, as a vital response to physical and emotional danger. If we didn't feel it, we couldn't protect ourselves from legitimate threats. So fear, on an instinctive, rational, common-sense level, can definitely be a good quality for us, right? It can save our lives. It's good for for self-preservation. But as psychology today also writes about fear, often we fear situations that are far from life or death, and thus hang back for no good reason. You might remember last week when we were talking about how anger can cause us to, to think and act irrationally in, in, in that moment, right? It cause us to act unchristian. And this is a similar idea because in the same way, so can our fear. Right? When we're feeling afraid, it can make things seem much bigger or more of a threat than they really are. And they can make things, even for us Christians, seem bigger than God. And cause us to, to question if, if God's really there for us and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so to back it up a bit, it's true that on one level, our, our, our instinctive fear can, can help us and rationally, you know, protect us from danger, right? Like if we're, we're about to walk down an alley, a, a dark alley, it's, it's, it's in the middle of the night and, and we, we turn into the alley and then there's a bunch of dudes in clown masks holding pitchforks beckoning you to come hither, right? Your fear's going to kick in in that moment, and you're probably not going to walk down that alley, right? Or if we're standing on the edge of a cliff, right? Or, 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 or if, sorry, if we're standing on the edge of a cliff, our fear of falling, right, is going gonna, is gonna to make us think, well, I should hold on to something or I should be careful while I'm on the edge of this cliff, right? So, so fear in that way is, is normal and good. But sometimes we give our fear way too much credit. Sometimes we give our fear way too much power over us and then it makes us think irrationally and makes us and holds us back from, from what we're called to do. Uh, similar to what, like Elliot, when he's standing on the diving board. Granted, he'd never been up there before. He's five years old, so I get it. I get why he was scared. But in reality, he was perfectly safe. Perfectly safe. 99.99% chance that he wouldn't die, Right? He had a life jacket on. He'd practiced jumping in the water. There was an instructor on the board. There was an instructor in the water. There were a whole pile of parents in the water encouraging him, including me, his own dad, waiting for him to jump into the water, right? And, and before he'd gone on the board, about 15 other kids had gone before him and jumped in without incident. And some were even like going and taking a second turn. But his fear in that moment just consumed him nonetheless. And he couldn't see any of that. He couldn't see any of that because of his fear. He was convinced he would die if he would jump off the board. And this same idea, I think, applies to us as Christians as well and in our faith and in who we've been called to be and how we've been called to live in the world, right? Because often we're standing on the diving board of our faith, so to speak, and yet we're frozen in place, unable to move forward, unable to take that jump. Why? Because of fear. 
Because of what might happen to us or because of what someone might think of us. Afraid to fail. Afraid of being made fun of. Afraid of what we'll have to sacrifice if we move forward. Afraid of what the Holy, afraid of the Holy Spirit maybe digging up sins in our lives that, that we have yet to repent of if we, if we, if we move forward in our faith. Afraid of being persecuted maybe or ostracized or afraid of looking weird or, you know, the list goes on and on. The thing about fear is that it can cause us to make an idol of what might happen. And refuses to let us acknowledge or trust in the God who knows what will happen. That's what fear does to us. And then if we get to that point, we're more afraid of what might happen or we're more afraid of what man can do to us over and above God and what he does for us. Then it might not only cause us to hide our faith from the world, but in some circumstances it could even cause us to deny our faith altogether in the spirit of self-preservation. Basically what it comes down to is that our fear, when we give into it, has the capability of keeping us from stepping into God's blessing and call for our lives. It can keep us back and hold us back. For example, it was fear that prevented a whole generation of God's people from entering into the promised land. Right? They sent some spies into the promised land. They came back with reports that there's giants there and they're going to they're gonna kill all of them. So they shouldn't go in. And God's like, fine, you're not going in. Because they're afraid. It was fear that caused the prophet Jonah to run from God. It was fear that prevented a bunch of Jews from publicly confessing Jesus as Lord after hearing him teach. Because they didn't want to be, be ostracized and thrown out of the synagogue. It was fear... It was also fear that caused the prophet Elijah to run and hide and feel sorry for himself. Right? And if you know that story about the prophet Elijah, only days before that, God had sent a pillar of fire at Elijah's request to show, to show his authority over all the false gods of the pagans. God sent that pillar of fire. I don't, I don't know. You'd think after seeing that, after seeing God do something like that, your faith wouldn't waver at all. But yet, fear caused them to run and hide. It can be a powerful force against us if we let it replace our faith in God. If we make whatever we're afraid of bigger than God in our mind, which is also a form of idolatry. Right? The truth is, is, that is that if God's called us into something, then he's not going to give up on us, right? He'll strengthen us through it. He'll, have, he'll give grace for us through it. But yet fear in this context, again, can make us blind to the truth because it, because it places all the focus inward, right? And it makes us feel powerless against this thing that we're against. So it makes us want to run or go into self-preservation mode or we'll do anything or say anything to survive or, or even keep our comfort. And Peter's aware that the Christians that he's speaking to in this letter were wrestling with this and that it wasn't just a, a concept for them, right? This is, a, this is a real and raw reality. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about persecution, persecution and suffering, we, we know very little about that here in Canada, right? It's more of a concept for us. But for them, this is a very real and raw reality for them. For most of them, living as Christians in their, in their Greek or Roman culture was dangerous and, and a surefire invitation to be mocked and even persecuted. In fact, I'm sure some of them um, 
had been and, and were currently in the midst and in, and were currently in the midst of being persecuted as they were reading this letter. I'm sure many of them are wondering then if suffering for their faith was actually worth it. I'm sure many even thought about giving in to that persecution they were feeling and, and, and giving up their faith, giving into that fear, reverting back to their old religions or cultural norms. And I'm sure that many were feeling emotionally discouraged and beating down, beaten down, right? Afraid of even going outside their door. So Peter's goal here in writing this letter is to encourage them in the midst of all of it and remind them that because of their living hope in Christ, that they have nothing to fear. That if they're living their lives for God, then nothing and no one can truly harm them. Let's read the passage again, 1 Peter 3, 13 to 14. Now who, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And that's, that encouragement is, is the same for our faith as well, right? When we place our fear of God, when we place our fear in God instead of man, that is our worship and our trust and our hope, then everything else pales in comparison. Or to put it simply, when we fear God, we won't fear anyone or anything getting in the way of what he's called us into. Well, let's back up for a second. Because even as I, as I read the, those two verses this week, and even as I'm reading them now, if I'm completely honest, as I read them, that, in, that instinctive fear within me easily conjures up in my mind a lot of scenarios and images and possibilities and ways in which I could surely be harmed for my faith. And I'm sure you could think of a lot as well, yourselves. You know, some of, them, some of them that I'm thinking of are extreme, some not so, some unlikely to happen to me in Canada, but definitely some that could. But still, all these scenarios that I can think of and ways that I could be harmed from my faith are, are disconcerting scenarios that, that I would rather avoid, right? I'd, I'd rather avoid than face head on. And I can also think of many examples of Christians who have been killed or harmed or who are currently in trouble even right now as we speak. And who live under threat of persecution every day because of the country they live in or, or, or are even just feeling the threat of going hungry and providing for their families because they've been chased out of their homes for following Jesus. So people are being harmed. People are in trouble for following Jesus. So what's Peter talking about here? How is it that he says we can't be harmed and that we shouldn't be troubled if we're zealous for doing good. That is, if we're zealous for, for living for God. Again, these Christians he's writing to as well know all about persecution and suffering. So how would Peter tell, telling them this be helpful in the least? It doesn't seem rational, right? But I think there are probably two, two meanings to his statement here. And the first one is practical. So Peter, again, Peter's just finished talking about, you know, the passages before this, right? Talking about how Christians are called to be helpful and humble and loving citizens wherever we're at, right? So it only stands to reason then, if we're living rightly 
if we're zealous for being good within our communities, then, then I think more often than not, people will find us respectful and, and, and helpful and should find us loving and then won't bother us, even if they might disagree with us, right? Um, so on a practical level, that might be what Peter is alluding to here. That, you know, if, if you're good and, and you help your communities and you won't be persecuted or, or bothered, people won't want to harm you. So on a practical level, yes. But that can't be the full extent of what Peter means. Because as we know, that isn't always the case. We can be certain that, that there are those who hate Jesus, who hate Christianity, who, who even just dislike that we're different than, than the world. And will therefore seek to hurt us or just mock us because of it or whatever. Which is why the second meaning of Peter's statement about not being harmed is, is probably the most significant and poignant, especially for those who truly experience harsh persecution for their faith. And it's this. That no matter what happens to us, physically, emotionally, no matter what happens to us, our relationship with God and the eternal blessing he's given us in Christ, the salvation of our soul, cannot and will not be harmed. See, Peter's perspective here is eternal. What's important to him in the end is not his physical well-being, but his spiritual well-being. Because that's what lasts. That's what goes into eternity. Not that he doesn't care about the physical, but in the end, it's his spiritual well-being that concerns him the most. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8:18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's saying, like, what I'm going through now, this is, this is nothing compared to what we'll get to experience when the glory is revealed to us when Jesus comes again, when we're raised up in resurrection life. And Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Right? You see how their, their, their perspective, their perspective when it comes to what we should fear is not concerned about physical suffering. It's not even concerned with death. But it's focused on what affects us in eternity. It's focused on our soul, on our salvation, In other words, as long as whatever we're going through can't tear us apart from God, as long as it can't destroy our soul, then to them it's not causing any true harm. That's what Peter's saying here. And therefore it's not anything to be feared. In fact, they could easily argue as well that 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 suffering as Christians even advances the kingdom in some circumstances. In other words, God can turn these things for good so it doesn't cause any harm to our soul or to our kingdom or to our mission. As Christians. On the other hand, if we think this life is all there is, if we think this is it, then we'll be afraid of losing our stuff. Right? We'll be afraid of losing our level of comfort that we've worked so hard to achieve. 
We'll be afraid of being physically or, or emotionally hurt, afraid of being killed, and afraid of, of not enjoying this short life while we're living it. If we think this is it. Christians, we have, we have a living hope. A living hope, an eternal hope in Christ that allows us to look beyond the temporal and to the eternal. We have hope in resurrection life. We have hope in a God who works all things for the good of those who love him. And so as we keep our hope and trust in the sovereign God and this blessing that he has for us, then, then, then we'll truly have nothing else to fear in this life or in the next. As it says in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And of course, Psalm 118, verse 6 which proclaims with faith, the Lord is on my side, so I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That should be our motto when we go out into the world. We should, we should all memorize that verse. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And let's remember as well that Peter is not just rehashing some, some theological or philosophical idea in order to give his readers some, some spiritually fluffy or false sense of courage that doesn't seem to help them at all in the moment. Right? We're going to be talking more about the moment as we talk about suffering in, in further sermons. But one could easily argue, well, that doesn't help them in the moment. Yeah, they're looking forward to eternity, but that doesn't help them in the moment. But Peter's speaking from experience. Peter's experienced that hurt and that persecution. And he's also experienced failure in this area as well. He's been consumed by fear. He's given into fear. Right? He knows that firsthand, and it's, and it's caused him to doubt and deny Jesus on multiple occasions. But then he's also experienced the grace and faithfulness of God, even in the midst of those moments. So he knows what he's talking about. And since Easter's coming up in only a couple of weeks, uh, I think it would be appropriate to talk about and learn from one of the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter's experiences with fear. Um, more specifically, the one leading up to the final moments where Jesus would be hung on the cross. And I think most of us know the story, but we're going to go through it anyway. And I should also note, first of all, that, that Peter didn't start out being fearful in this particular story. Peter, in fact, was the type of person who was very vocal about being fearless and courageous for Christ, even in the face of death. Right? He, was, he, would, he would always say stuff like that, right? Particularly right after the Passover meal when, when Jesus explained to his disciples that, that he was going to be going to a place in which they can't follow. And he's talking about going to the cross, right? And Peter, of course, he declares boldly, he says, he says, where you're going, I will follow. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Right? He's ready to, to die for Jesus, which not only sounds like a Brian Adams song, but also sounds a lot like a lot of our worship songs and declarations to God, right? I'll lay down my life for you. 
I'll follow you wherever you go. But would we really, would we really, like I said before, I don't think many of us have had our faith tested quite like that yet. And so it's easy to say, and much, much harder to actually live that out. As Peter finds out, and as Jesus prophesies to him in John 13, 38, and Jesus responds to him, Will you lay down your life for me? Will you? Truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus says truly, truly, it's like, like definite truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Sure enough, after Jesus is arrested and convicted to death through crucifixion, as all that's going on, Peter denies him three times. We have to give Peter some credit, though, because after Jesus is arrested, everyone else scatters, and they all run away, and they're like, Ma! and one was naked, and he's out of there. It's really weird. It's true. He's a blanket around him. And they grab the blanket, and whoosh. Anyways. <laughs> he's running. <laughs> it's in the Bible. So they're all running, running, running off naked. And, and Peter, he, he sticks around, though. He kind of follows behind. He's, he's following and, he, and, 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 and checking out the events, right? He doesn't flee like they all do. So he does seem to be more fearless than the rest of them at this point. But my guess is, you know, as, as, as he witnesses the events of the evening and the morning, as he sees Jesus' unjust treatment at the hands of the Pharisees and Romans, And as he hears that Jesus has been convicted to death, and he's seeing all these things and witnessing all these things, I'm sure that his prideful courage starts to melt away. starting to melt away, right? And his fear and anxiety starting to build up inside of him. Just as he's witnessing all these things and seeing all of it. And then three times that night he was recognized as one of Jesus' disciples and each and every time out of fear he denies that he knows Jesus it's like no I don't know that guy and well clearly afraid of what might happen to him if he admits that he does afraid that maybe he'll get sent to death to you or he'll get beaten just like Jesus was and then the rooster crows And all of a sudden, his fear is swallowed up in shame. And then Peter takes off. Peter knows what it's like when you allow your fear to consume you to the point that it causes you to say and do things that you never would have imagined or thought yourself capable of. Peter knows that fear has the ability to reveal to us where our faith truly is. And in this case, clearly, his faith was weak. 
Clearly his fear of man is what caused him to deny the Son of God, his best friend, his Savior, his King. But three days later, it was Jesus' grace and mercy that saved him in the end. And I love this story. Because after Jesus rose from the grave, defeated sin and death, he intentionally sought out the now ashamed Peter who had gone back to his fishing lifestyle. And he not only forgave him three times for each denial, but each and every time that he forgave him, he reminded Peter of his calling. And after that moment, after that moment, Peter became a different person. And we can read that in Acts, right? He became unafraid to speak out in public for the name of Jesus. Right? He preached the first sermon at Pentecost. He became unafraid and even rejoicing in the face of persecution for the name of Jesus. Even boldly proclaiming the gospel after he was beaten and told not to. He experienced firsthand that nothing, nothing could separate him from the love of Christ and that knowing Christ is all that matters. His faith was now grounded fully in Jesus who never let him go. And if Jesus will never let him go, then what does he have to fear? He has nothing to fear from anyone else or anything in this world. Nothing, nothing to fear because Jesus will never let him go. It's no wonder then that he's both empathetic to the plight of the Christians he's writing to, but also adamant that they don't allow their fear of man to to intimidate them or, or consume them like it did for him. He knows that even the most courageous and well-intentioned people like him who said, no, I'm, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Even the most courageous people can easily shrink in the face of hardship and that the only way they can overcome it is if their faith is secure in God. The same goes for us. The same goes for us. We don't have to be afraid of being Christians outside these doors. We don't have to be intimidated by anything that that man or this world tries to throw at us or do to us in order to shut us up or slow us down. But again, we can't conjure up that courage and that boldness on our own in order to to overcome the, the things that would make anyone naturally afraid. We don't have the strength on our own to do that. The point here is that we need God to strengthen us. We need God to keep us. We need his mercy and grace to cover us. The answer to overcome our fears is more of God. More of God. And if we choose to place our fear and trust in God, then nothing the world does or says can harm us. Nothing can harm our souls. Nothing they do can keep us from knowing our God. And we know this and we can be confident in this because Jesus paid the ultimate price, right? Because he suffered in our place at the cross. So we could be secure in our salvation. We can be secure in our relationship with God for eternity. Jesus already won our victory. It's ours. No man can take that from us. Nothing can take that from us. They can take everything we have. They can, take, they can take our life, but they can't take that. They can't take that. 
And so now covered in his grace, we don't have to be afraid even of, of joining him in his sufferings because what he's done for us and what we have waiting for us in eternity and for what our suffering might even accomplish to advance the kingdom in this world makes anything we'll face in this life not only pale in comparison, but it makes it all worth it. So the world can hurt us and, and hurl stones at us and make fun of us and spread lies about us and, and, and do whatever it wants to us. But those things shouldn't intimidate us. Those things shouldn't cause us to shrink back in fear because we have Jesus. We have God on our side. They should move us to surrender then further, even further to the grace and mercy of God who will only then respond back to us with, back to our cries and prayers by comforting us with his loving arms and by filling us with the strength and boldness to persevere through these things. Psalm 33, 18 to 20 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Christ, we are not afraid. We do not shrink back in fear. Because if he's for us, if he's for us, who can be against us? When we truly fear the Lord, nothing will keep us from passionately and faithfully living for him. But if I'm honest, there's some, time, some days where, where I'm afraid and where I let fear overcome me. And I'm sure that you've all experienced that as well. But don't feel ashamed of that. Because Jesus is seeking you out to forgive you and set you back on the path again, just like he did with Peter. So this morning, if, if you're feeling that fear, if it's stopping you from moving forward in your faith, if it's stopping you from sharing the gospel with your coworkers or, or whatever, if you need prayer this morning, please get prayer. If you need encouragement, I'm sure anyone in here would be happy to encourage you and lift you up to remind you that you have nothing to fear because you have Jesus. I'm going to end with Romans 8, 31 to 39. And then we're going to have communion. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Let these words speak to you. What shall we say about such, such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse whom God has chosen for his own? No one. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have won for us overwhelming victory. Lord, and that we live in that victory. And that we walk in that victory. And we move through that victory, Lord God. That we have nothing to fear. That because you are with us, that you are for us, that you have saved us, No one can separate us from you, Lord. Nothing can separate us from you. So, Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room this morning, Lord God, that you would remind each and every one of us that you are walking before us and beside us. because of that man can do nothing to us Lord Lord give each and every person here the faith and the boldness to move forward to conquer those fears that, that, that we're feeling Lord God that are preventing us from, from moving into what you've called us to, to, to do and who you've called us to be Lord God perfect love casts out fear Lord so let your perfect love within us cast out any fear. And let us boldly move. Let us boldly go outside these, these doors, these walls, and spread your gospel and proclaim your name. Not worried about what might happen to us if we do, Lord, because we know that nothing can harm us. Nothing can keep us from you. Nothing can separate us from you. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you that you are faithful and that you never give up on us, Lord. That even when we do give in to our fears, Lord, you, you come and you seek us out like you did for Peter. And, and you for, forgive us and you set us right back on the, on the path that you have for us, Lord. So I pray for those that are, that are feeling ashamed of, of, of giving in to fear this morning, Lord God, that you would remove that shame from them. You'd remove that condemnation from them that they're, that they're feeling on, that they're and feeding on themselves, Lord God. You just remove those from them and just, and just that we would be free to live for you, Lord. And nothing would keep us from living for you. Father, I pray for those in the, in the world that right now that are being persecuted, that are suffering, that are afraid to, to walk out their front doors, Lord. I pray that you would just give, just overwhelm them with your presence and sense of peace. And that you would work in those situations, you're good, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your compassion over us. 
have that victory.